The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arnim Layton, and in today's episode, we are going to talk about some of the best minor league performers offensively so far this season who are outside the top 100 because, of course, there's a lot of top 100 prospects that have been tearing it up, and I do want to discuss those guys we're definitely going to, but fresh off of the top 100 list breakdown where we really talked about every single top 100 prospect for at least a few minutes through 100 all the way to one, I feel like we should be giving some attention to prospects who may be on their way to the top 100 list or may just be performing really darn well. And obviously we haven't talked about them in a little bit because we were locked in on the top 100 prospects. So these are some guys that maybe came into the season either just outside the top 100 list or were really not expected to do much. The guy I'm going to start with is someone that I know, I don't think anybody was expecting this guy to do much this season. So what I want to do here is one, highlight some of the more surprising or exciting prospects that have emerged this season, and then also discuss whether really we believe that this is a tangible change that is sustainable, right? Is this just a hot streak, or have these guys made some major adjustments or uh, look a little bit different uh, that really can reinforce that this breakout or that this performance in the early going of 2022 is something that we can expect moving forward. And honestly, the guy that I'm going to start with here is someone that I'm the least sure about and has performed the best. Uh, Moises Gomez of the St. Louis Cardinals organization. You might be familiar if you've just browsed through fan graphs or I think we've brought him up a couple times in passing on this podcast. And I know Jack McMullen has made it clear that he will not be sold on Moises Gomez until July. And I, I very much understand that because Moises Gomez was not somebody that was on any radars. With all due respect, I mean, he's a talented player. Uh, He had some intrigue in the early days at Tampa Bay, 
But this is somebody that was released. I mean, he was released by the Tampa Bay Rays. And we know you know, the Rays are pretty aware of what they have. And I know any team is capable of making a mistake. And even the Rays have made mistakes from time to time. But I think when a team is willing to release you after about five years in the organization, I would say it's safe to say that the Rays were no longer, or that team in this hypothetical would no longer be expecting you to reach the potential that was once perceived to be attainable and just use that roster spot on somebody else, uh, even all the way down to the minor leagues. The roster spots matter. And that seems to be a little bit of a mistake in the early going here from the Rays because Moises Gomez has been fantastic. And look, it's been 29 games. And I, I really do have some concerns, which I'll get into. But at the end of the day, he is a hell of a lot better than he has looked at any point so far in his professional career. He has put together some decent seasons. If you go back to 2018 with the Rays as a 19-year-old, he launched 19 home runs and and put up a 283-28-503 slash line. Approach has never been a part of his game. So he's somebody that really has to, one, put the bat on the ball a lot, and two, have high slugging on contact because, really, it's low walk rates, pretty high strike, or I would say very high strikeout rates. And I think you would be hoping for a Harold Ramirez type of outcome here, uh, sacrificing a little bit of the athleticism more so for just pop and and power production in the, in the box but a similar type of swing at everything uh, put the bat on the ball and you know when it's going right I mean his average was up there in previous years last year was a disaster which I'll get to uh, so it's a it's a bit surprising but so far this season 339 395 813 slash line I mean I mean that, that's just out of this world 15 home runs in 29 games he's not doing this against low a pitching this is against double a pitching with the Cardinals and uh, last year against double a pitching Moises Gomez hit 171, 256, 309. That's a 58 WRC plus. He has a 184 WRC plus this year. And this isn't some 26-year-old either. I mean, Moises Gomez is 23 years old, so still very much a prospect. But again, I would not fault the Rays for releasing a dude who hit 171 with a 38% K rate. And just a ton of weak contact overall. I mean, that hasn't been the case this year. We've seen a lot more powerful, powerful contact and a lot more line drives from Moises Gomez. And you know, that's what's really been impressive so far. When I look at the swing and the adjustments, there's nothing too radical that's changed. So it is a little bit surprising to see this kind of change in the overall production given that there's nothing that radical. But for him, it could have just been a slight tweak. That That's really all he needed. What's crazy is the chase rates are still pretty consistently high, but it's not egregious enough that if he's hitting the way he is hitting right now, uh, that it would not be you know, sustainable to have at least some sort of success here. Uh, he is walking about at the same clip, 9%. That's what he did last year. Strikeout rate is down 7% from 38% to 31.5%. Obviously, you'd like to see that get down a little bit because you're never going to see somebody hitting 339 with a 31% K rate. It just doesn't exist. It's unsustainable with that 390 batting average on balls in play. The guy literally has 15 homers and 15 singles. He has the same amount of home runs as singles. It's it's a pretty wild season thus far, and it just doesn't seem like, at least to this level, which I don't think takes much uh, rocket science or 
hard-hitting analysis to tell you that he's not going to average a home run every other game. But what I see from Gomez is definitely a more relaxed setup. He used to have his hands up, and it almost seemed like he didn't know what to do with them, didn't have much of a negative move to keep himself back, and everything seemed to be moving forward when I was looking at the old video. Now he starts with his hands rested on his shoulder, and the first move when it's rested on your shoulder is get those hands up and back. And I think that stretch has created a little bit more of that tension, that rubber band elasticity, so you're seeing a little bit more natural rotational strength. You know, if, if you are loading back, you have that tension, and that tension right before you launch is what can really help you, one, stay back, but two, also have that explosiveness as you launch forward, and Gomez has had exactly that. So the relaxed setup seems to help him timing-wise, and I think timing is the big thing here. Starts with the hands on the shoulder, like I said, and has that timing trigger that seems to work really well because he does it almost every single time on every pitch, repeats the timing very well, whereas before, the hands were kind of just floating around, and it seemed like a different load timing or a different start time with his load uh, from pitch to pitch, and of course, timing and consistency can be all of the difference. It really can be all the difference, and I know that's something that he's improved. Before, he was a little bit more of a step-in-the-bucket guy, meaning his stance was already slightly open, but he wouldn't close off that well. He would almost pick that leg up and then step right back in that same area, which causes the front hips to, to leak a little bit, and the back can drag, and that's somewhat what happened. We're seeing way more power to Gomez's pull side, which it sounds counterintuitive, but he's staying closed a little bit longer and then unleashing that tension, as I just mentioned, with that rotational power. And that's allowing him to get backspin to the pull side instead of losing his backside and losing that front hip as well and having the bat drag and roll over. So Gomez looks a lot better in that regard, but it's not any crazy, you know, really dramatic types of changes that we've seen. I will say he has shown the ability to hit in the past, so maybe he didn't need a dramatic change. Maybe last year was more of a lost season, and still, if you look at the previous two seasons, while they were a bit inconsistent, they were still good enough. Last year was the only real disaster year that he had, so it is interesting and something to follow, and I do think that Gomez could turn himself into an intriguing bat. I just don't know if he's going to be someone that's going to hit his way onto a top 100 list just because I, I don't trust the approach just yet, and there still is a little bit too much swing and miss, but he has 150,000% improved his outlook from released guy to uh, a guy that is a legitimate prospect worth following. I can definitely say that. Next up is a guy who I definitely think can crack the top 100 list by the time you know we update it at midseason. It's Jacob Amaya of the LA Dodgers, and it's funny because typically you don't see an L.A. Dodgers prospect overlooked or not really getting the hype or attention that he deserves. But I would argue that Jacob Amaya is not getting the hype or attention he deserves. A, a guy that really was not great last year at all. Another double-A repeater, but that's not a big deal. A lot of people repeat double-A because you get there a little bit early, especially last year after having no season in 2020. Some made a bit of an early jump to double. And Amaya is still just 23 years old, but so far this season has been one of the best hitters in the minor leagues. 337, 443, 747 slash line, only a 12% K rate, 16.5% walk rate. So the guy's walking more than he strikes out. He has eight home runs now, which is really impressive because Last year, in 113 AA games, he had 12 home runs. So far this year, to have 8 and 27 games is absurd. Uh, the K rate is almost cut in half. He struck out 22% of the time last year. 
Walk rate up nearly 6%. Obviously, that is extremely encouraging. And all of the batted ball metrics look extremely encouraging as well. Maya is a middle infielder. Uh, I should have probably mentioned that. Good sticking power at shortstop. Could easily be a plus defensive second baseman. Above average runner with with good all-around tools. And I look at Jacob Amaya, who was an 11th round pick in 2017. And I mean, the Dodgers have done a phenomenal job at identifying guys like this later in rounds. And uh, he's always been more of that bat-to-ball guy, the, the more of a hit tool guy in the past. But the, the uptick in power, there's definitely been some added strength and some added ability to lift. And it's not just the home run output that stands out in terms of the added power. And I'm going to get to some more things because it's not just the power. It's also the more consistent contact. So when you have somebody that is making better and not only more contact, but better contact, uh, it's pretty hard to not get behind that. So his average exit velo is up 3.4 miles per hour, which is an absolutely massive, massive jump. You just don't see jumps that big. And three and a half miles an hour will do a lot for you on the batted ball profile. So when you see the batting average on balls in play go way up, it doesn't mean that his uh, BABIP, as that would be the acronym for it, it doesn't mean that his is not sustainable because really this is a new season. You can't really pull from previous years in that regard because he's hitting the ball differently than he ever has. So I'm extremely encouraged by the improvement in exit velo. I don't think they're going to find a person on earth that's not going to be encouraged by a three and a half mile per hour gain in exit velo. But on top of that, he's elite with the bat to ball. His zone contact is up and he he is putting up 91% zone contact rate, which would be elite at the major league level. So to pair the zone contact with this kind of power, I mean, there's not very many hitters that are going to tap into above average power and Jacob Amaya has always been someone that got below average power grades or comfortably below average power grades. But I think when you're seeing someone hit eight home runs and now has 20 extra base hits so far this season, you got to at least give this guy average power. I think there's above average potential power with the way he's impacting the baseball now. So the zone contact that high makes him a very, very likely top 100 prospect at the midseason update if he continues on this trajectory. The glove and the complementary tools are all above average. And I mean, when you look at now what he's able to do offensively, this is somebody that should be a fast, fast riser, uh, both in the rankings and could potentially get a triple A AAA call up by midseason uh, because of this performance. What I really like, too, is on top of the added impact on the baseball is an accommodation and approach to help that uptick and impact translate into production. And that's exactly what we're seeing. He cut his ground ball rate by 16%, fly ball rate up 7%, and the home run to fly ball rate has more than doubled. So you're hitting the ball in the air more, but more of your fly balls are leaving the yard. Uh, That is a great combination. I am always here for that. And that's a similar uh, just type of tide turn. When I'm looking at the numbers, the numbers remind me pattern-wise of the trajectory that we saw from Josh Lowe of the Rays. And uh, when you are finding a way to tap into more power, it's one thing to do that. Okay, now you're just hitting those ground balls or line drives harder. No, I'm hitting the ball harder now and I'm lifting more to have those balls go out of the yard. That's why Jacob Amaya is doing what he is doing. One last thing that really stands out to me is uh, the body control. He's somebody that does not move much with his swing. He's very simple. And with the adjustments that he's made, he's afforded himself a little bit more time to make decisions because he's so quick to the ball. He's so simple. And after hitting 181 against breaking balls in 2021, he's hitting 312 against breaking balls this season. 
You could say, oh, that's a small sample size. And I would say, yes, I agree. But here's the thing. He had 23 hits and 136 plate appearances against breaking balls last year. He already has 10 hits and 37 plate appearances against breaking balls this year. So he's already almost halfway to his total of hits on breaking balls and a third of the plate appearances or less than a third, more close to a quarter of the plate appearances. So I am going to bet on him continuing, even if he slows down, he's going to beat that hit total and he's going to be better against breaking balls than he was last year. And that is extremely encouraging as well. Uses the whole field well. Look out for Jacob Amaya. He's just your classic do a little bit of everything prospect that the Dodgers just continue to squeeze the most out of. And I am very excited to follow him as the year goes on. And one of the names to look out for moving forward. Next up is a guy who has emerged out of somewhat nowhere because, I mean, he showed flashes of his skill set and his tools over the last couple of years, but we have not really seen this kind of offensive production from him. Asturi Ruiz, and I hope I'm saying this right. I'm going to commit to Ruiz the rest of the way. But for those who may want to follow along with a fan graph search, it's E-S-T-E-U-R-Y Ruiz. Asturi Ruiz is what I'm going to go with. And San Diego Padres organization, Very intriguing on the just tools across the board. Again, talking about a guy that has some really interesting complementary tools. Probably the toolsiest player I'm going to talk about on this breakout or I guess buy or sell or whatever you want to call this. Guys outside the top 100 who are performing. Definitely the most athletic guy that we're talking about here because 23 years old can play infield or outfield, playing more outfield now for the Padres, plus runner, no doubt about it, and I'll get into that in a second, but what's crazy is the offensive shift. He's always been a guy that's fast, that swings a lot, puts the bat on the ball a pretty decent amount, but just really doesn't translate that or hadn't translated that into legitimate production, Uh, probably putting the ball on the ground a bit too much and just trying to be too contact oriented and as you climb up through the minor leagues those balls that you hit on the ground don't quite translate into hits as frequently because the defense obviously gets a lot better and that's where the batting average on balls in play goes down not the case this year for Ruiz in his second stint in double a and you'll notice that's the trend here a lot of these guys maybe a little bit too raw for double a last year got a taste learned and it's always one of the biggest jumps as I'll always mention and they can apply whatever those struggles were last year, whatever they learned, into you know just being better this year and working through that. Ruiz has been so much better. I mean, it's really not even close. He's doubled his walk rate from any season in his minor league career, which is extremely impressive. And I think 33 games is enough of a sample to see someone double up their walk rate and say, okay, this is impressive. Because in 84 games last year, the guy walked 28 times. In 33 games this year, he's already walked 25 times. I'd venture to say he's going to exceed last year's walk total. The numbers across the board this season, 350, 500, 583 slash line to 179 WRC plus 15.7% walk rate, 17% K rate. He has five home runs and he has swiped 23 bags, which is absurd. That's one of the best clips in the minor leagues. He's 23 for 26 on stolen bases at the double A level. Ruiz in the early going was one of those super athletic guys that just tore up rookie level pitching and tore up rookie level competition and won the MVP award in in one of the rookie level Arizona leagues. And that's kind of what you expect from the toolsy guys. And then you see them get brought up to the next levels. And as I mentioned earlier, they'll struggle a little bit, but he showed some flashes in high A. We, we saw the stolen base and power combination because uh, there is at least average, I would say comfortably 
above average 55 at least potential power here but I think he was somebody that if you notice when we have interviews and by the way one of the guys I'm going to talk about in the back end here had an awesome interview with him and that will be up tomorrow which I'm very excited for you to listen to but uh, when you talk to guys who are more toolsy uh, but have the power and speed combination I'll ask these guys, you know, how do you balance the I can put the bat on the ball and hit a dribble in the infield and it'll turn into a hit, but also I have the ability to hit a bomb at any given moment and go yard. How do you balance that? Because if you're flying out frequently and you're a plus runner, that's a waste of speed to a degree. But if you have above average power or even average power and you are rolling over on everything, that's a little bit of a waste of, of your skill set as well. So it, it's a challenge to juggle the two. And it seems like Ruiz has really found a way to do that so far this season. One of the best line drive rates we've seen in the minor leagues this year, a very, very level and contact oriented swing, but still has enough in there uh, to, to pick his spots where he can go yard, especially stuff middle in when he's in hitters counts middle in, he will look to lift a little bit more so that more nuanced approach has definitely helped him and guys like that with his kind of skill set I mean it's exactly what they have to do is focus on going gap to gap line drives which is what he's doing and you'll be surprised a lot of times when I talk to hitters uh, when we do the stream yard you know go through the games type of discussions and go through AB's discussions a lot of times the gappers that get out the guys thought that they were just going to be doubles in the gap so if you're thinking gap to gap with above average power you're probably going to sneak a few extra out and that's exactly what we're seeing from Ruiz but still if you're in a 2-0 count and you feel like you're seeing the ball really well you can sell out for a middle end pitch and try to lift something in the air and that's exactly what we're seeing from Ruiz is he has really been just picking his spots and doing a good job in doing so and career high home run to fly ball rate not as dramatic of a jump as some of the other guys but still a more than three percent jump pull rate is up a little bit and again I like that because it is really just leveraging those hitters' counts. The pull rate's still not egregious, still using the whole field really well. He's somebody that I really do believe could be a very exciting super utility type of player. We've seen him play the infield in the past. I like him much better in the outfield, as do the San Diego Padres, evidently, because ever since... He got above the lower levels. He's really been focusing more on the outfield, but I do think he's capable to still play second base, could play third base in a pinch, but fast enough to play center or, of course, left or right and has a good enough arm to probably get away with uh, either corner. I like that. I like that. And and even though he's not going to excel at any defensive position, the ability to play at least passable defense or average defense at almost any spot hedges that a little bit and is extremely encouraging for his overall outlook. Last thing I'll say on Ruiz is don't sleep on the power potential. Uh, Again, he's never going to try to go crazy with the lift, but has already put up a lot more 105 plus mile per hour exit velos than you'd think. And uh, as far as I've seen, maxed out at 109 miles per hour, which is really, really impressive. Speaking of exit velos, I got to give a nod. We're going to fly through three other standout offensive prospects thus far outside the top 100. I got to give a nod to Trey Cabbage, who unfortunately went down with an injury. Uh, I don't know if it's been reported yet, but I, I saw it. I'm sure it has been at this point. Saw it live in the game, and uh, unfortunately, Gerard Encarnacion was was trucking over to first base. Trey Cabbage 
in the Angels organization. First baseman uh, went to make the grab. They collided, and he uh, broke his wrist. At least it seemed very clear that he may have broke his wrist. Trey Cabbage has some of the most ridiculous power I have seen, not just in the minor leagues, at any level. He is an 80-grade power guy, no doubt about it. And you might be wondering, who is Trey Cabbage? Well, he was somebody that has bounced around a little bit. He started in Minnesota and then also was released or or not re-signed and ultimately goes over to the Angels. And uh, somebody that definitely has had the ability to hit the ball hard always, but had not found the consistency. And Cabbage has done just that so far this year. And hopefully he can get back and be healthy and, and get back to mashing soon. 327, 434, 664 slash line, which is absurd. 10 home runs. Also snuck in 10 stolen bases. He's a big outfielder, 6'3", 204, stuck to a corner, but moves surprisingly well. Um, and when I look at Cabbage, I mean, this guy has, and I'm not kidding, has hit 121 mile per hour exit velos. He did it this year already. He's hit home runs 118, 117, 119. I've seen him put up 120s. It's absolutely nuts to see what he has been able to do in terms of the exit velocity department. What really encouraged me this year with Cabbage was that he was a little bit more under control of his at-bats. While he's still striking out about 34% of the time, walk rate was up 3.5%. He seemed to be more comfortable, though. Swing is not that crazy. It seems pretty simple. It's just a little bit long at times. There's some Joey Gallo reminiscence there. But if he's able to walk the way he is walking... Uh, or even get that up a little bit more to the you know consistently 15% range, that is going to be something that could carry him. If you're walking 15% of the time, you strike out 33, 34% of the time, but you have the power output. We're talking 122 mile per hour exit velocity. That's something that you know I don't even think we've seen uh, Joey Gallo ever do, even at the minor league level at any stop. So if he has that type of power potential uh, on top of what is sneaky good defense in the corner and the ability to walk, there is a very similar Joey Gallo type profile here. And again, he snuck in 10 stolen bases in 30 games already this year. He is a little bit quicker than people may think. Unfortunately, the injury will uh, take some time from the middle of his season here when he was really mashing with those 10 home runs in 30 games. But with the way that Cabbage is hitting the baseball, there's not really anybody in the minor leagues, maybe O'Neill Cruz, but nobody else that hits the ball as hard as this guy. So I am very interested to, to follow, especially with the improved patience at the plate and more steady production at the plate as well. Uh, two other guys I wanted to highlight really quickly. One of the more notable names, but still was not quite a top 100 prospect this year because of his injury last year, Pete Crow Armstrong, who was traded straight up for Javier Baez. And I've been making fun of that trade for a little bit. I get why the Mets did it. They were trying to reignite a little bit of a fire under their team. And they were even in win now mode last year, even though they sucked. And look, I think they're going to regret the trade a little bit, but the Mets are so good right now, I don't know if it necessarily matters. But Pete Crow Armstrong's been spectacular so far in low A. He just turned 20 years old, missed last year, really only had those six games where he was spectacular in those six games as well, but repeats low A because he only played a handful of games last year and is doing more of the same. 364, 457, 545 slash line. And what really impresses me, though, is he's impacting the baseball more than I thought he would. Nine stolen bases, but four home runs. He has 10 extra base hits. That's two triples and four doubles. 12% walk rate, 17.8% K rate. Everything looks good. I mean, the, the guy's ready for a high A promotion. He's a plus plus defender in the outfield. Could legitimately be a gold glove caliber defender. He's a plus runner. And now if this is a guy that has potentially above average power, 
Very, very interesting to follow moving forward. Uh, PCA, the one thing I want to see is, okay, how does the hit tool translate at the higher levels? Because this is your classic candidate of somebody that just can smack the ball on the ground in the lower levels and beat a lot of stuff out because it's weaker fielding. He has, I've seen more than enough to really believe in what I have seen in terms of the bat to ball, but I'm trying to get a gauge of how just how high end the hit tool is. And I'm interested to see that more at the high A level, still just 20 years old, but I'd assume a promotion will be coming in the next few weeks. And with the ability to now hit for a little bit of power, his outlook is changing for the better, getting the ball in the air, uh, but also still spraying all over. I I like what I'm seeing from Pete Crow Armstrong, definitely on the brink of top 100 prospect status. One more player who I would say is right in that same conversation as on the brink of top 100 consideration and has been fantastic really since he stepped foot in professional baseball is Zach Geloff out of UVA, 22 years old, was a second round pick in 2021. Geloff was great in 32 games of low A baseball last year where he hit 298, 393, 548. 25% K rate was a little concerning from a guy that came out of college in low A. But the Oakland A's prospect and third baseman ends up making the jump to double A this year and in 30 games has been more of the same. 25% K rate, walk rate drops to 8%, would like to see that get closer to 10%. But overall, we're seeing more just steady production. 363, 415, 533, slash line, four home runs, and seven stolen bases as well. He's a sneaky good runner. To have only really played 35 professional baseball games and make that jump so comfortably to double A is really impressive. I love the swing. I think he is somebody that is going to be able to just steadily hit at every stop. And I'm expecting him to climb through the minor leagues relatively quickly. Could even be the third baseman of the future for this team uh, in Oakland or wherever they're going to be by the time he gets up there. I do believe in the hit tool being close to 55, maybe even 60. If he can cut down on the just aggressiveness overall, the bat to ball is great, but a little too aggressive at times. But Geloff is the type of guy where you can see his athleticism in the box. Like I said, an above average runner, especially for third base. And you can see the lower half driven swing. He's in a very athletic stance gathers into that backside and stays in his lower half really well. So the lower half is very, very present in his swing and he repeats it well because of how athletic he is in the box. I think Galoff's going to be a guy that taps into above average power, 20 plus home run potential, uh, but good ability to split the gaps. Uh, A guy that's probably going to give you 285, 20 home runs, 15 bags, good defense. I mean, that would be a really exciting player to have. And and I think Gilloff can be exactly that. I think there's potential for more power. He's 6'3", 205. He could add a little bit more muscle, might slow him down a tick, but that's okay. I think for your third baseman, you'd give up the above average speed, closer to average speed to have more above average to closer to plus power. But I think 20 home runs, maybe 25 on the high end is what it looks like now. If he adds some weight, adds some muscle, maybe 30 is achievable, but I would say 20 to 25 probably makes the most sense on the you know, 60, 70th percentile outcome in the in the power department. Again, I really do like the glove at third base. Zach Geloff is a guy that is very poised to make his case for the top 100 prospect list. Another guy that I wanted to mention real quick because we have the interview with him coming up tomorrow, Matt Mervis of the Chicago Cubs organization. Mervis has been phenomenal thus far, and and I am sold on what we've seen from him. I mean, Mervis is somebody that was an undrafted free agent back in 2020, and 
I mean, he had his pick of the litter. He could have went to a few different ball clubs. A lot were interested in him after what was a dominant season in the Cape in 2019 and a great start to his 2020. Corner infield masher was a two-way player at Duke. Stopped pitching, you know, once he went the pro route. And so far this season, hitting 350, 389, 650 in high A with seven home runs. He has a 186 WRC+. plus. That is fourth or tied for third among all qualified minor league hitters. So Mervis has been just absolutely ridiculous over 1,000 OPS. He has just been promoted to double A, according to a source I trust on that. So Mervis getting the bump up to Tennessee as well, which is super exciting. And I think he's going to continue to do really good things there. If you listen to the interview tomorrow, you'll see why Mervis is Definitely somebody that you should be sold on. And he probably would have been drafted uh, at some point in the, you know, five to 10 round range, maybe a little bit after that, had the season, you know, not been cut short and had the draft not been cut to five rounds, especially after his performance in the Cape. So it was unfortunate, but then it allowed Mervis the opportunity to pick his team. And he had a very strong pull towards the Cubs, which he talks about in the interview that, again, will be out tomorrow. If you are eager to see a little bit more on Mervis, check out our YouTube video that's already up now where him and I, separate from the interview, did our StreamYard discussion going through some of his best swings of the year and some of his at-bats. He walks us through you know, his approach and what he's thinking in the box, which was super cool. As we always do, at least once a week, I want to wrap up with some eBay discussion and, you know, which of these cards might be worth investing in from the guys that we just talked about. And I would say there's several that are worth investing in, but several that don't even have cards. But the two that I would be looking at the most, and maybe three, if you want to include Pete Crow Armstrong into this, Zach Geloff still doesn't have a card. Uh, so unfortunately, you cannot buy his up. Moises Gomez probably still not buying his cards. But Astori Ruiz you can get his Bowman Chrome Auto for about $20 right now, which, which is as low as it gets for a Bowman Chrome Auto of a player that is still in an organization. It doesn't get much lower than that. Uh, I'm seeing multiple that are listed for $25 or best offer. I'm seeing one at, with bidding only eight hours left at $15.50. I mean, this is a player that, again, I, I just gave you the whole lowdown. Does that sound like a $15 to $20 Bowman Chrome Auto? Absolutely not. Um, that, it is a no-brainer buy. I don't know if Perez or, or Ruiz, excuse me, is ever going to be a superstar, uh, but you know what? If you can get a Bowman Chrome Auto of a legitimate prospect who has a chance to be a top 100 guy for less than $20, I can promise you as people start to realize that this guy is more than just a performer in the first 20 games, and, and I think we'll have a good year when we look back, a good year in A will boost up his card value at the very least to $45, $50. Look at Ezekiel Tovar of the Rockies. Similar situation, kind of emerged and really just mashed his way on a larger sample size. Now people are starting to buy in and his card is over $100. I don't know if we'll quite reach the Tovar levels, but I can promise you that you could double your money very quickly. And I don't make those kinds of promises with the story Ruiz if you buy it. I just don't really see how it won't go up. And guess what? If Ruiz isn't great, it, the card is gonna what go down to ten dollars, eight dollars if he if he somehow hits a wall. Much more upside than risk here, and I'm without a doubt scooping up some of these cards on eBay uh, right now. <laughs> You'll see me buying some of these right now. Uh, another one is Jacob Amaya, which. I am floored that Jacob Amaya's cards are not going for more. I just saw his Bowman Chrome Auto out of 75 ungraded sell for, what was it, $250? His base Bowman Chrome Autos are selling for 
what is $60, $70. And we're talking about a guy, the Dodgers organization always results in, you know, one, they develop talent. So there's a reason behind it. But the Dodgers prospects are always going to be more expensive, especially once they start performing. I don't expect much to change with Amaya. If he continues to hit, people are going to catch notice or people are going to start to take notice and his cards are going to start flying off of the virtual shelves on eBay. And again, I just saw that I put in an offer. I'll be honest. I'll be, I'm always going to be transparent with it. Put in an offer at 200. It was listed for 275. And I'm pretty mad because I could have got a Bowman Chrome auto. If I just did the buy it now for 275, tried to stretch out as much of a deal as I could. And someone came in at 250 and got it. And, uh, it, it was even a good deal right at the buy it now amount, but there are still a ton of Bowman Chrome autos out there on eBay of Jacob Amaya that you could get for $60, $70, maybe even less than that. And again, when you have the Dodgers impact that he has uh, as a prospect that's starting to perform for them, is doing it at the double A level, has a little bit more proximity, all of the tangible adjustments we talked about, zone contact rate makes him less risky. The uptick in exit velo makes him exciting and you know gives you that tangible change in what we have seen from him uh, offensively. And again, all the batted ball data looks really good. I think he's a good buy anywhere under $80. Uh, definitely still a good buy on that Bowman Chrome Auto. And, and I have seen a few that have been in that price range and continue to see more uh, in that price range. You just got to kind of keep an eye out. But Jacob Amaya is a great buy still right now as well. Last guy I want to talk about is Pete Crow Armstrong, and it seems like the hobby doesn't quite know how to feel about him because I see some of his cards go on eBay for about $73, his base Bowman Chromato for about $73, but then I see you know a refractor go for $200 or more than that, and then I see a refractor go for $130. I would say if you could get a Pete Crow Armstrong at $65 to $80, I think that's a good buy on eBay right now because what he's doing offensively is incredibly impressive. Uh, the floor is extremely high with the glove, with the bat to ball, with the speed. But now you're adding in a little bit more impact on the baseball. Uh, I've talked to some of his teammates who are just really impressed with his mentality at the plate and just how much of that head down sprint just grinder type of guy he is. But also the ability to impact the baseball and the ability to make adjustments in the box. I think he's high floor. He still has high ceiling potential because of the skill set and the tools. Cubs are a big fan base that likes to scoop up their prospects. Brendan Davis made me a killing uh, over the last couple years as I scooped him up, you know, way before the the top 100 ranking uh, hype with him. And, And that has been really fun to watch, even though he's off to a little bit of a slow start this year. I do think Pete Crow Armstrong can be a very, very good center fielder. And, you know, it's still at 65 to $80, anywhere in that range. I'm scooping up his Bowman Chrome autos. You got to look. There's high volume. Uh, he's a more notable name, especially because he was a Mets draft pick, then traded straight up for an all-star. Like, there's a definitely a little bit more star power name recognition there. But you can still find the good deals in the weeds on eBay right now. That'll do it for today's episode. A reminder to check out tomorrow's episode, interview with Matt Mervis. Also, if you can't wait, check out the StreamYard hitting discussion that we have uh, that is already on our YouTube. If you could take a moment to leave a rating on the podcast, I would really appreciate it. Helps us grow the show immensely, and I am looking forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.